0: hello and welcome back to the mask tactical podcast my name is hayden i'm your host as ever today myself and rob are going live straight after manchester united have beaten west ham 3-1 after probably the most craziest game of two halves or even 15 minutes where united turned it on and turned up rob welcome back how are you doing today and how are you feeling after that <laughs> the crazy game honestly being a united fan is
1: not good for your health no, I was never in doubt was it, it was an easy match really when you think about it just quite simple for Manchester United you know just the the usual play terrible for an hour and then it will clicks make a couple of substitutions at half time and suddenly things start going in the right direction so obviously very strange football match but not I'm not entirely surprised and I think this is maybe The crux of the problem at United is that as soon as Oli makes a change, and today was two significant changes, which I totally agreed with, you know, giving Donny minutes, you're getting Pogba back in the team, you're trying to find some balance and shape with other players, and they just couldn't do it. Felt like last season, whenever Oli made a big change, it would collapse and then he'd have to fix it really quickly. And then it would fix itself when he brought the players back in. Click. And suddenly things are okay again. And that's what we saw today is that United fixed what looked like a, an hour-long problem in about five minutes once it started to click. And then just ripped West Ham to shreds like a pack of wolves. So an odd game of football. We'll break it all down for you guys. So thank you all for joining us live here with the podcast um lots to talk about we're going to try and keep it as concise as possible we're not going to go on for like two hours long as this podcast could do looking at all the things that went wrong today for Manchester United but there were things that went right as well and it's important that we highlight those those points as much as the bad ones
0: absolutely guys and thank you for joining us we're going to start off with a formation and selection also Rob let's talk about the importance of rotation at this level because I think Looking at that starting lineup, we saw return to a 4 2 3 1. I was pretty happy with the starting lineup. We saw Pogba in the double pivot with, with McTominay, Van der and in the number 10 role. I know a lot of United fans have wanted to see that. And uh, what I saw was that United, United would have to be, well, they'd have to move the ball quickly because when West Ham are that well set up, when they're that compact, that well drilled, I think it was very important. Pogba to provide the creativity. McTominay to provide the cover because it was quite an attacking lineup as well. If you look at the front three, again, Martial, Cavani and uh, Greenwood. So McTominay keeping it simple, disciplined and, and giving protection. And I was interested to see whether Van de Beek and Pogba swapped as well because I, I want to see Pogba maybe in that number 10 role a little bit more. But it was just a really, really p- terrible first half. I mean, I can't even describe how poor that was. It's probably the worst I've seen this season. There was big questions about how United would manage to gel together because it's a team that hasn't really played together. And we got our answer, didn't we? And when you take out players like Bruno Fernandes and Marcus Rashford, you see the drop-off. And that's a bit worrying for me going forward, that if Bruno doesn't play, United look completely toothless and there's a lack of creativity in the side.
1: Yeah, it's not. I wouldn't describe it as worrying. I think there is an issue at Manchester United that's been there for years, maybe seven years since Fergie left or whenever that point was, that Manchester United cannot now effectively rotate like Manchester City do, like other clubs do at the very top, and find ways of winning matches. And what you saw today was the real Jacqueline Hyde of Manchester United. So, you know, looking at the 4-2-3-1, it's a formation that they all know. They play it all the time. But, as I said uh, with the last game, is that when you make significant positional changes for players you do see a downturn in performance. And when you're bringing in players like, let's say for instance, Donny van de Beek, who sat on the bench for most of the season, you then start to see maybe what Ole is seeing in training and why he picks the teams that he picks and why he so consistently goes with Marcus Rashford. You know, well, I know last week in the podcast, the last game, I criticized that and said, you know, he needs to find a way of giving Marcus a rest. But of course today, if you give Marcus 90 minutes off, Manchester United lose this game. So, You can see how the manager is kind of constrained, you know, constricted by his playing staff and what they can do. I think it was a big opportunity for today for Van der Beek. I think he failed the test miserably. You know, I thought after forty-five minutes I was ready to pull him. His press was poor. His decisions were poor. Yeah, he's very neat and tidy with the ball. He doesn't give you a lot of progression through that that number ten spot, and he has to give more there. And just across the pitch in that first hour, it was kind of horrific positional issues um i'm not going to use the word lazy i don't think anyone's lazy it's just that they're not switched on to what they have to do because the chemistry isn't there because this is a team almost a new team like i know people think cavani has been at man united forever now don't forget what was this his second start is it maybe second is it
0: yeah second, second start.
1: start overall so it's new to him as well you know it's you've got to try and find ways that your first team, your second team and your third team will replicate each other in terms of tactics. And we're not there. We're not there yet. And you see that today. And the two players that, you know, run the show for Manchester United came off the bench, ran the show again, and we won the game. And in the end, we could have. what could the score have been? Much more than the 3-1 it was. It could have been 4-1, 5-1. West Ham, once the de- game changed, West Ham had nothing. United exposed what they're weak at. And United showed what they're strong at, and that's a good positive sign. However, if you do it against Leipzig, you're out of the Champions League. That's it. Finish. You do it against Man City next week, no chance. You lose that game. Ole needs to find a way of being able to rotate effectively.
0: Yeah, it's, look for me. I like the selection. I like to see I like to see him pop back in. The big questions for me is. Would Mason and Martial track back as well? Because that's not something they're strongest at. And then the question again was would Telez be able to do the defensive work? We'll talk about him later today. He did not do that particularly well. But looking at the first half, West Ham are very well organized, as predicted. Bowen's threat on the right was something that United had to look out for. And a few times in that first half, we didn't seem to react to that. Now, looking at those problems in the first half, what is it down to, though, Rob? Because for me, you can't put all the blame on the manager because it's not the players go out there and they have to play. But it seems to be the same thing where we start slowly, we can't keep the ball, stopping possession, lack of movement with the front line. Only Cavani was the one that was really making the movement. And then, as you said about Van der Bake, my thing with Van der Bakes, I think he's, like you said, tidy in possession. But Bruno does the off-the-ball work better. He presses much more aggressively, he presses with um you know much more uh, awareness as well he's that he's a leader of that press i found van der Beek a bit passive in that i don't think he was poor to be honest because i think there were there were other players that were worse but i thought that bruno obviously changed things but united can't keep on going in these first halves playing like that because looking at the way west ham were playing if it was a better side we would've been put away now what does all have to do to change these things is it just down to rotation and these players haven't played together because for me it's a, it's a regular occurrence when you get those better players in, United are a different side. So going through towards probably January, mid-January, we've got two games a week. We can't see these drop-offs one week, one game fantastic, the next game poor. It's it's not right for a club the size of Man United.
1: Well, the real fix is going out and buying some more players. Like People said to me in the summer, you know, Rob, we need starters. Now, I get that. Yeah, People want to see a, a Sancho come in or someone like that, someone who you know is going to start pretty much every week. But the logic really in football now is a it's a squad game and it has been for years and you've got to have a stronger squad. So Manchester United have strengthened their squad. What they haven't done, what they haven't had time to do is find a way that the squad gels together when you rotate. So Manchester City do it effectively. It doesn't matter who they play. The player comes in, they can play Sterling across the front free. They can bring Mares in. You know, Guero drops in and out when he's not injured. You know, De Bruyne does two or three different things. What they find is that they have a consistency in their approach and their philosophy. So, what all they need to do is to find that key to unlock that door with his squad. And you can see at the moment that's not there. Now, you could blame the manager; he does the training. He's got to train these players to be able to do all this. But with the January signings that, that came in, and um, oh, sorry, the signs that came in on the off-season, it's still a short period of time. And it takes time when players haven't played matches. So Donny van der Beek hasn't played matches. And one of the reasons that I gave for that is that he might just not be quite ready yet. Now, football fans don't want to accept that. They think a player comes in and within a week or two, they're up to speed and that's it. And they're in. But don't don't be a fool to think that Ole and Solskjaer does not see what goes on in training. He 100% sees it. He'll have his progress reports with the health report that he gets in terms of the sports science and what's going on inside the players. And he'll see with his own eyes, tactically, who is carrying out what kind of tasks. Now, today, I agree with you. I like the selection. I think it was time to rotate it. Going to West Ham was a good opportunity. Now, West Ham have been playing well, done well in the league since the start of the season. David Moyes has got them drilled. And we saw that again today, them dropping to a five at the back and completely close United down whenever they were trying to play the ball through. But I think when you look at United and you look at the selection and, and the tactics today, there was nothing overtly strange about it. It was just that Man United had no chemistry. They didn't know where their next man was. So when someone got the ball, Chin goes up, he goes on a swivel, and they don't know what to do because the chemistry is not there. And you saw the actual playing of the positions, the fact that kind of Cavani was in the center, Marshall on the left. Marshall is not good on the left. I know, Haydar, you want him to play on the left. He is a not a very good player on that left-hand side. He's okay, but he doesn't really do the tracking forward. He doesn't really cover back, and he wants to come in all the time central on his right. Now, I think when he had 10 minutes before he got injured, there was 10 minutes where he looked on it. He was awake again. He was sprinting forward. He was looking for that ball. He was looking to join the dots. He was dropping in and out. And I thought, he's suddenly doing the work he wants to. Then he got injured and he was gone. But funnily, Manchester United still stayed on that trajectory. And it started to work because Bruno came on a pitch, started to play those balls through for the middle. Marcus woke up, you know, he was there, kind of just came straight on, did what he always does. Mason, exactly the same, played his game. What you saw in the second half, especially from the 30-minute point onwards, was that Man United players were doing the jobs that they want to do and that they do best. When you swap it around, they fall apart. They haven't got the personality in that starting eleven, or maybe in the whole squad to just pull you, pull it up and just go, right, let's just do this now. What they find is that they complicate matters, is that they look for balls that they shouldn't really be playing. Play it small, play it short, play it smart. Yeah, Do all the stuff that you're, you're taught to do. And that's where I think you can lay out Ole's door because maybe, just maybe, he's not doing that well enough with that squad. But one thing I'll leave this little segment on is that with that win, since January, I've said it before, but it's fact now, again, Manchester United have one more point than Liverpool since January to December now and more points to Manchester City. And they would win the Premier League in that spell if the Premier League was a year from January to today. Now, that's that's but a weird fact. Rob. Exactly. That, that, that's, no, but, but that l- isn't. That's, but listen, that's but listen, one that, I can't listen, take. It's not it's it's not a fact of whether United should win the league or not, because I'm with you. Of course they shouldn't. They're not good enough. They're not consistent enough in their own skin. That's the issue. But when we look at facts, we have to acknowledge what facts are and what they mean. And I don't know how they've won more points than Liverpool in that spell. I don't know how they've won more points than Man City in that spell, but they have won more points in 12 months than any other team. Now that is strange and when you're the board who know nothing about football and they're looking at their facts, they're going, we're not playing well. We're We're not that good, but we've won more points than anyone else. Ole has to find now the next step. And the next step is that he can rotate his team with consistency. If he can do that, it doesn't matter how good Liverpool are. And it doesn't matter how good Manchester City are. It's just about how good Man United are. That's how it has to be from now on. What you saw today for 30 minutes and then for, certainly for 45 was the worst side of Manchester United, a team that's passive, that has no chemistry, that doesn't have a clue what their partner is doing in midfield or in defence, or the fullbacks not doing their jobs? You sort of, you know, we'll talk about Telez today, and he was he was awful, but he's just come to the football club, so you know you can't really give him too much of a of a hard time. But there's lots of things on that pitch today that should just be better than they are, and yet still over a 12 month period. Manchester United, who won more points than any other team in the Premier League, and that is weird because it shouldn't be like that. They're not good enough to have that stat attached to them, and yet somehow that hey, Rob, is a truth. Not, do you not think? Do you not think as?
0: A, do you not think these are the sort of stats that we shouldn't be thinking about because they're just irrelevant? They're stats that have been made up. You know, it's it's to push a, push a certain viewpoint. Because on the one hand, you can say, "Oh, we're really consistent." Rob, we're not consistent. No, we're not consistent in performances. We're not consistent in results. I don't think we are. You're saying that in that period, but all that matters at the end of the day is that when you sit there, yeah. And you look at the table at the end of the season. That's all that matters. Not how many off this amount of games. Not how many of that amount of games. I know you're going to say to me now, "We've lost five matches." But right now, no, 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 okay, okay, okay. okay when, wait. Wait, when do we start you know, talking about performances? Though they've got to be consistent. When do we, we, we talk about,
1: about performances every week, and this is what this shows about is performances, because that's really what what we're interested in. We're interested in kind of quality, consistency, um, on a setup, the tactics, how that translates from whatever's going on in his mind as a coach into those players. And we can, sorry, factually say one hundred percent today that it's not there, is it? But we we want to talk about facts. Facts are not convenient; they're just the truth. Yeah, I mean you're absolutely right. You can apply facts to all sorts of things, but these are the facts. And I pulled it up on my phone because it's important. Liverpool, twenty four points, twenty four games. Sorry, in that spell since January, fifteen wins, five draws, four losses. Goal difference of plus sixteen, and fifty points. Manchester United now, after today's win, 24 games exactly the same, 15 wins exactly the same, six draws, three losses. That means that's one less than Liverpool. And they have 51 points, one point more than Liverpool. Well, you've got to take... No, but sorry, wait, wait one second. Sorry. Wait one second, because... What's really important here is that the difference before what we see and what what's factual, what I just read out there is facts, right? What we see is the unfurling of Manchester United, the stuff that's going on behind the scenes and how they put it on the football pitch. And we know that it's nowhere near perfect. It's nowhere near perfect. What I saw today was a team that should be mid-table. Yeah, a team that can't do it for more than 15 or 20 minutes, but, you know, for an hour, they just look rubbish. And then for half an hour, they can maybe score a goal or two. And that's what happened today. You know, we can tell that these players are better than they are showing. But then we kind of have to go, right, let's look at the facts. A team that's won 51 points in a year, in a calendar year, is not a bad team but there are things going on at Manchester United that could be better. And this is what you pay Ole the big bucks for. Like I said at halftime, now, Ole, you've got to prove it. You know, it's not, you know, we can hammer Ole. The Ole's out, can have a go at him? The people hate Paul Pogba at halftime. We're all celebrating, going United are awful. It's Paul Pogba's fault. And then Paul Pogba marches onto a ball, curls it in the bottom corner and it's game on. We've got to look at facts as much as how we feel. Emotionally, that was a horrible game to watch. I don't, you know, I think it'll be a lot of United fans high because we won and it's a nice little victory 3-1 we are two points off the top of the table what's all that about hey this team as I said looks like a mid-table team like I keep saying in previous episodes the table doesn't really count until a little bit on but Manchester United are finding ways of winning games that maybe a year or two or three ago they were losing in similar situations you know what I put that down
0: to I'm not taking anything away from Oli. I'm not saying go and sack him tomorrow. I think mm-hmm. it shows to me that the recruitment's been excellent. So that's on Oli. Recruitment's been very good. You're seeing the players that we brought in make an impact. It also suggests to me, if you're looking at points, why, as you said, United do it for spells and games and they, they blow teams away. Why? Because they've got better players. So that suggests to me, there's a lot of quality in this squad. So we should be doing, we should be more consistent. And where does where does that come down, down to? It comes down to the players, obviously. It comes down to the manager. It comes down to how they're coached. To what they're set out to do. And today in that first half, I don't blame the selection. What and I don't necessarily blame I don't necessarily blame the players. What I blame is that this is not the first time this has happened where we go out and we don't look prepared. We we're lethargic. It takes us time to get into the game. Then bring on two players, bang, two of our most important players, and it changes the game. And I sat here thinking, right, fantastic for 15 minutes and a fantastic result. And look, we're sitting there in the top four. But Rob individual brilliance that's what it was we blew them away because we had quality real real quality And Bruno that finish from Mason was absolutely out of this world the way he brought that down and hit that in the goal mm-hmm. and then obviously with Marcus and that pass from matter we had better players and in the end we turned up and we turned it on for 15 minutes and we won the game I'm not taking anything away from Oli but everyone turns around and says and a lot of people saying oh well look we're sitting here in the table but what your eyes are seeing is not what's actually happening we should be able to dissect it without showing emotion and saying yes that was a fantastic result but the performances haven't been good enough for a long time so when I sit here and I look at it I look at a side who still two years down the line don't look cohesive they don't Mm. look like a unit going forward and it takes for Bruno to come back into the side for us to change it so that's a concern for me maybe I'm looking at a different angle but I expect two years down the line not to consistently have these sort of performances we have in the first half. We can blow teams away. I have no doubt about it. And we saw that today. And we can we did it against Leipzig 75 minutes, 1-0, great, great performance in the end. Obviously, the last 15, we blew them away. We have that firepower, but we're not doing it on a consistent basis. So, and also to talk about the, the result, you know, the sort of results from January. Liverpool won the league in when? Was it April? And after that, they fielded lesser strength teams Mm. so that skews the statistics a little bit i'm not taking anything away from Oli and united but that for me is just one statistic where you look at and you say i'll tell you what for how we feel
1: how we feel as united United fans right compared to the facts and this is why i will always back the facts yeah because what you're saying is absolutely right liverpool at the end of the season they've won the title they don't need to play do they manchester united this manchester united should be 50 points behind liverpool they shouldn't be anywhere near them yeah, it doesn't matter how well Liverpool play or what, what the situation says, they should be miles away fr- behind them. This Man United team looks like a mid-table team so often. That's the issue. I blame the players. In that scenario, I blame the players. If we say we're happy with the way that they're lined up, we're happy with the tactics, we're happy with what the manager's done in terms of getting them there and what we want to see, then I blame the players. In that first half, I blame the players. They have got to play better. If I've got the ball at my feet and I'm a footballer, it is my responsibility to keep that ball and to keep possession or set someone on their way. And that wasn't there from any of them. All 11 of them, from goalkeeper to the top, stank. Yeah, now everyone can say it in different levels and say, oh, well, you know, this one player did this or this player did that. In the first half, you can write that off. It was the worst first half that I've seen Man United play for a long time. However, what I will say is this we saw kind of little signs of this. In the PSG game at the start, in terms of sloppiness, in terms of not keeping the ball, in terms of not being savvy, in terms of not being economical, giving it away just without thinking... And we saw a lot of that. And we had almost a different team today. You think about the players that dropped out with players come in. So endemically, there's an issue there. You have to look at that and say, right, what is the problem there? Systematically, this is a repetitive problem. Gary Neville said this on his commentary all the way through, that you don't know what Man United you're going to get every 45 minutes. You're going to get a different one every time. So that's what Ole has to address. And I think this is what this show addresses, you know, and, You can have the facts on one side, and I always like to present the facts, even though that's not really what we are talking about at the moment. Because factually, Manchester United have won all these points in a 12-month calendar year. And like you said, it doesn't matter unless it's in the season. But it shows that United can win points. That's the point. And that is a fact. What now we need to see is United go to another level. Because they've gone and beaten West Ham in about 15 minutes today. Yeah, The other 75 minutes, they hardly turned up. They weren't even there. They were just a ghost of a football side. And why is that? I think partly Ole has to solve that. That's what you always want your managers to do. And like I keep saying, you know, if you don't solve those things and they don't work and you start losing games, it's it's very very quickly that you pay of it with your job. You know, we keep talking about Pochettino every week, over and over and over again, and you can smell it because you can see it. If it's like if you lose three in a row because that goes wrong with what you saw today, you lose your job very quickly because people are, you know, the heat is on you all the time at Manchester United at our football club. But tactically, again, today, I don't think I would have done anything differently. I think that when you look at the balance of the side, that on paper it looked fine, you saw people doing their roles in terms of what you wanted them to do within the aspect of the team. But what actually happened was that people weren't doing their roles. The role-playing was awful. So even from the corner, you saw it. You know, Maguire needs to organise better. Teller's at the back post is asleep. Martial on the front post isn't positioned correctly. Second week in a row, Rob. That teller's not the second week in, the in a row. This happens every week at Man United. Every corner, every yes, corner, every I go piece, like this yeah. now, and I've been doing it for years. It's not this week. It's not under Oleg on the Solskjaer. It's been like this for years. United can't defend set pieces, and why is that? There's a systematic issue in there somewhere of why. They fail at this one task every week. If you go and watch Burnley, Burnley are greater corners. Why? Because Burnley probably practice that a lot more. And they're thinking, this is part of our bread and butter. Man United maybe need to go and practice that more. You see that, but then there's only a certain many hours in a day. If you've got a game plan and you need 20 hours of training to execute that and you can only give half an hour, an hour of that to to set pieces, then that shows in the game. And United went 1-0 down today because of that. And they didn't concede a goal from open play today. It was a clean sheet without without that goal. And Henderson made a couple of good saves. West Ham weren't that threatening in the match when you think about it. Eighteen shots, eighteen shots. But, 18 shots but, did, but did we feel like they were really? First half, we, we could have been a couple. Were we down. on the brink? Were we on the brink? It didn't feel like it to me. Didn't feel like we were doing anything either in response didn't feel like United were picking up the pace or, or really doing much, but if they had that many shots and that's what the stats say, they're the facts of the game. I didn't finish that game feeling, you know, we got really lucky today because West Ham were all over us. I didn't feel that at all. You know, I think that West Ham team is good. It's functional. It's not that talented. It's got opportunities. But in the first half, it was mainly because United's defence was really poor. Tellers was coming too, too inside, allowing the space on the outside. Then he was going too wide. It was the same issue that we talked about in the last Premier League masterclass. And that's a worry because he needs to solve that if he wants to play every week. If Luke Shaw is fit in the next match, guess who's starting at left-back? Yeah, he's he's definitely starting. So, I think. It's, so that's a difficult yeah. thing you see because Ole has to... It's always the thing with managers. You go back to what you know, yeah, what you feel safe with. So there's no doubt that, you know, if you see that, you're not thinking, well, Teller's not really giving me a lot from set pieces, which is one of his little modus operandi is what you want him to do in a football team to give you quality set pieces he's not really provided that and he's not really provided us with attacking wit fever he's done okay but that's partly to do with manchester united being a complete basket case of a football team so there's all of those things in it but you can see why ole sticks with bruno sticks with marcus even though marcus's shoulders completely wrecked and you can see why luke shaw will get rushed back in to play at left back He's playing the players that have giving him those points that we've just talked about in that 12-month period. He looks at those teams and those selections that he's put out and he probably feels more comfortable playing that team that's won in more games than not over that period. Six losses, or did I say five? Five in in a year period. It's not that bad, but also there's so many strange things happening in Manchester United that we can see with our eyes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've got Barry's comment here uh Remember where we, were, where we were two years ago. There's been a lot of improvement. I'm not denying the improvement. Rob knows this. We sit every single week, and I sit and I, I praise. But Uncas asking here: Am I playing devil's advocate for reason? No, I, I do believe, and uh, maybe another manager would get more out of it. I think there's a lot of quality in this squad, and you're seeing that. You bring on two players, and it completely changes United's outlook. I'm just going to read out a few more comments here. Uh H months money, Paul Pogba. So these are some of the statistics: 85 out of 95 passes, 88 pass accuracy. That's percentage. Eight out of twelve accurate long passes. Two out of two shots. Obviously, one on target with a fantastic goal. Five out of eleven duels one That's They're well class stats.
1: They're, no, but they, they are, are world well, well, yeah. class. stats. Yeah. He played as a number six today in a, in a, a double pivot. in a double pivot. And everyone always said to me today, you know, every time Rob says double pivot, then it should be a drinking game, and you should have a shot. So you can do that, but I'm going to say it again a few times here. Pogba played in the pivot today. That's where I thought he would play, and I thought that he did okay. The first half, he wasn't great. In the second half, I think he ran the game. I actually think he was man of the match for me. So I know that Marcus and, uh, and Bruno changed the game coming on, gave United the balance, gave us that kind of effective edge and attack. But you actually saw what Pogba was doing. He was starting everything. He was the quarterback today. He got the ball to feet and he would turn on a pivot, on a swivel and get United going. And that was why United had that 20 minutes when it absolutely terrorized West Ham. It came from Paul Pogba. I also get why he frustrates. I think today that tactically United just did things that we know that they can do, but it didn't work with the selection, but it should. We want to see better in weeks ahead. However, if I'm Ole now, do I start Vanderbaker as a ten? Probably not. No. Do I start? No. Do I start Van as a six? Yeah, I would. Probably, I was probably, saying this at probably not. Do I go back to Fred? Yeah. Do I look at that and say Fred is my guy in terms of the work rate, and I didn't have that in the first half? Do I go back to him? Well, personally, no, I don't want to see that. But that's probably what he will do, and it will be the, the right choice for him to be able to do that because he's thinking about things that have worked that haven't worked and trying to play them off against each other and there's no doubt that that selection that played the first half this is why i wouldn't play cavani through the middle as a starter i think cavani's an impact sub and i think today he worked okay in the first half but there was no joining of the dots between the midfield and the attack it looked it looked like an attack that had never played with the midfield before, and they had no chance of actually knowing what the hell the other people were doing with the ball. And there was nothing through in terms of passing to feet. I would have preferred to have seen Martial through the middle. Martial kind of played on the left. Marshall injured real. now, Rob. And now he's injured. Exactly. Because yeah, what's he, been been doing? Cause, cause he was playing that role on the left. And I think that doesn't help him in terms of his own confidence and actually playing the role he wants to play. And if it's a groin strain, if it's a groin tear, which I think it looked like the way he kind of walked around the pitch very slowly, that's four weeks. So, you know, three to four weeks gone without Martial. What it has shown is that we have got options. You know, you can play Greenwood in a more attacking role, more central. So when Greenwood get that, gets that ball down on his left foot, you know. He's, he's a Robin, killer in front of the He's gold. Robin Van Persie. He's the best finisher yeah. at the club, as I say, every 100%. week. Best finish at the club. So that's fine. I'm okay with that. But, you know, can you keep Rashford fit? You know, Bruno didn't play today because he did have a knock from the last two games, but he had to come on today. But you saw the intelligence of Bruno in the press that when he gets the ball, he's great. He knows what he wants to do with it. But when he hasn't got the ball, his first job is to think, right, I've got to close him down. I've got no choice. I run. And he sprints. And when he sprints, that means that that stops the opponent in their tracks. And... Van der Beek didn't do that once today, not once. He tried to, but it's all very one pace and he likes to kind of, you know, he looks very smooth and he, he floats and all of these things. In a Premier League, you can't get away with it. You can't. In the Premier League, you have to sprint in the press. Liverpool, great at it. Manchester City are great at it. Hey, guess what? They're the best two teams in the league. It's because they're so good at the press.
0: Yeah, fantastic point. So I'm going to bring up uh, Onka's comment here about van der Beek he isn't Bruno and we can't expect to like for like when Bruno is rested only needs to work out how to get van der Beek working as a 10 but that's the thing Rob right now on current form I saw a statistic um, someone popped up saying Bruno created 8 chances in that second half in the space hmm. of 45 minutes which is just absolutely mind blowing and there isn't a player right now in world football playing in that attacking midfield role on current form I'm not saying he's better than De Bruyne before anyone clips this up and, and shares it around Twitter but um on current form, the way that the impact he has on the team, the the numbers he's putting up in terms of in key passes and things like that, there's no player, I don't think, currently playing in that attacking midfielder role in world football that's playing as well as him. So it's no surprise that van der Beek's coming in. He's he's not playing to that level because Bruno's playing at a level which is so high. It's going to take him time to get into it. But let's move on to the second half and the substitutes because obviously that changed the game. So you had Cavani and van der Beek that came off. A lot of people on Twitter unhappy about that. I, I thought Martial would come off. But look, in hindsight, Oli made the right decision. What I'm really pleased about is Oli changed it at halftime. I'm mm. really pleased about that because you know what? He didn't do that against PSG. He did it fantastically against Southampton. He deserves credit for that. Changed it at halftime and it changed the game. Brought on Rashford and Bruno. And for me, I, I looked and I thought, right, so why is he doing that? It's, look, we need to stretch West Ham's defence. They were very, very comfortable. Not enough people making runs. Bruno and Rashford are very direct as players. And that's something which I don't think Cavani is, and I don't think Van der de Beek. I don't think they're direct enough, and that really pushed West Ham back. And I think when you're looking at the impact that they've made, it's a bit of a worry for me because you take out two players, changes where United played. But a little statistic here that United scored, um, sorry, Bruno and Rashford scored 20 goals out of United's 38 this season, which is which is more than half, which is just massive. So for me, looking at it now with Bruno Fernandez, what do United do? when he doesn't play because the qualities he brings, nobody else in the squad has?
1: It's a hypothetical question because there's lots of options in terms of formations and personnel and what you do. What it shows is that you need him to play. So I, I, I'm not always one of these uh, fans who kind of say, right, let's let's just look at the kind of alternatives because if he is the alternative, if he's the player that you need to keep fit and play every week, you, know, you don't see Liverpool drop Mane and Salah Consistently, You know, they don't drop out the team. Why? Because they're the best players in the team. And, you know, Klopp did it last week and Liverpool fell apart for about 20 minutes. You'd thought, wow. And that's because if you can keep players fit, then if Bruno Fernandes stays fit, he starts. He is your starting number 10. And even if he's not your starting number 10 that week because you're playing a different formation, he probably plays as the eight or he's placed somewhere in that midfield because he is the heart and soul of Manchester United. Yeah, let's let's not get this wrong here. Rashford and uh, and Bruno Fernandes, they're the two players whose hearts beat out of their chests like this for Manchester United. And they would have been there at halftime going, right, we're going to change this game. We don't care what happened in that first half. We we don't have the hang-ups that maybe other players in the team have. You know, we talk about Martial's confidence, or we talk about Cavani coming in, or players coming in and out like van der Beek. But those two players don't care. They're winners. They want to win. And they drag the team with them. And you need that. You need that at every football club. So in terms of the alternatives, you know, we can crunch numbers until we're blue in the face. I'm okay with those two players being the primary primary goal-getters or being involved in those goals because you need that in every team. As I just said, Liverpool's front three do that for them. De Bruyne does that um, consistently season after season for Manchester City and with Aguero. So it doesn't really matter as long as you've got components that work. So United have got components that work. What's the problem is, is that they're dysfunctional. Yeah, there's other parts of the team which just kind of just kind of collapse. So like we saw today that we brought Tellers in and we see the issues that that he brought with him today that probably Luke Shaw wouldn't have. Now we moan about Luke Shaw every week, every week people go Luke Shaw this Luke Shaw that. Yeah. And now we see when Luke Shaw's not in the team, what you miss with Luke Shaw. Now we saw that at the end of last season, I'm convinced that when Luke Shaw got injured at the end of the season, that was how United's end of the campaign turned Towards Europa League, yeah. When well, William like, came in, yeah, Just it looked like it looked like United were going to win the Europa League because they looked like the best team in the tournament. Losing Shaw over that period, you were you were in trouble, yeah. And we lost him; he's gone. Now he's out again, and we do look a bit disjointed in that left back position. You know, it's about balance at the end of the day. Not it's not a popularity contest. But let's take Cavani, for instance. Cavani is a guy who is getting on in years. He is a world-class operator in terms of his movement and what he, how he sees the game. You know, His picture is all in front of him and you can see it. He actually takes his position based on what he's looking at, not by what he's trained to do. But the issue with that is that he doesn't completely know everyone and what they do so far because he's only been in the club five minutes. So I said before the game, and I think in our last podcast, there is a logic to going back to Martial through the middle, Rashford on the left, and Greenwood on the right, because those three guys scored a ton of goals together, almost double digits for all of them, and like I've highlighted multiple times, they scored as a threesome more than yeah, they did. Salah, Mane, and Firmino. So yeah. that's, that's not the weak part of the team. The weak part of the team was creativity behind them. So there is a logic to go back to those three. So Martial's now out, so you have to kind of replace that. So it might be a case just by default that Cavani plays. Or... Look what happened today. One matter came on on the right, did quite well. Filled the hole, kept the ball, was neat and tidy, and allowed the strikers who have got the pace to go and put the afterburners on and hurt West Ham. I think Ole might go with that. I think that might be something that he goes with in the next few weeks, especially if Martial's out injured. And I think he probably will be out for the best part of a month looking at the nature of that injury.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think looking at it, Rob. When I look at Rashford, what I really, really like when he comes off the bench is he always looks like he's got the bit between his teeth. He looks much more threatening. We've discussed this before. Marcus Rashford sorry, against Leipzig. He's, he's devastating against tired legs. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just because it's, it's that extra right. I've got to get in this game quickly and he looks like a different player. But is that an option possibly as well? Because he is not fit at the moment and he didn't really show much signs of the injury. He looked, he looked absolutely devastating. But... Is that something that we can go ahead without? Because looking at now, I'm happy Mason scored. That was fantastic for his confidence. He really needed that goal. It was an unbelievable finish. But now with Martial out, Cavani's played quite a, quite a few games now recently. So what does, what does Oli do going into Leipzig? Because looking at now, starting Rashford, must-win game, and then we've got City again on the weekend. Can he
1: play both of those games? You see, I think my, Rashford did show signs of his injury today. Why? Because he didn't press... Didn't press at all, hardly at all. When he was on the left, if he got the ball at feet and he had to dribble, he was happy. He couldn't press because he couldn't sprint. This is what we said in the last game, wasn't it? We said exactly that. We said, it's not a case of whether Marcus Rashford wants to do it or not. But when you're injury and you make that first movement with your shoulder arm and you sprint, because it hurts, you stop. You don't do it. You say, right, I'm not going to I'm not gonna sprint. But when you're running with the ball through the channel and you want to score a goal, suddenly the pain's gone. And it's like, you know, so you, you learn to turn it on when you need to, to kind of limit the pain and the injury. Can you play Marcus Rashford like that week after week after week after week? The short answer is no, because it will bring on another injury. That's how it works. and I think that's what happened with him last year, playing with Knox until the point that he got the stress factor of the back. And that, that was the end of his campaign. But Ole has to work out if he can leave him out and let other players come in and do the work. And I think what we saw today is the answer is no. So if for all the goodwill in the world you know you would have seen today right when he would have told the team when he would have told Bruno and Marcus that they weren't playing both of them would have been annoyed I was going to use a swear word there but I won't because we're live on YouTube he he would have they would have both gone we want to play but we get it we've got Knox we're going to sit on the bench and then as the goal went in and United were playing terrible both of them were warming up at halftime and they would have been going right we're going to now show why we're in this team every week. That's what they did. And that's what footballers do. They like to prove a point. Most players do that. You know, people always have a go at Pogba because they always think that he's passive, but he's not actually a kind of passive player. He might be as a character, but you saw in that second half that once he got hold of the game, he was Paul Pogba. Yeah. I'm going to go and do it. I'm going to produce those stats that I like to produce. And yeah, it doesn't matter if someone says that they don't like me and all that. I've just got to do what I've got to do. It was a
0: classic thing, Rob, wasn't it? That he was the one everyone was pointing at half-time. Take Pogba off, take Pogba off. I don't think he was particularly bad. Honestly, I think that looking at Paul Pogba, he's exactly what this United team is missing. You're right. The front line can score goals. We've shown shown they're capable. For me, it's that midfield balance that we still haven't quite got. Matic didn't play today, so Matic will definitely play against Leipzig. That's a must win. So for me, I'm looking at Paul Pogba and thinking, let's get you fit. He's still the best player sitting in that double pivot with a defensive Mm -hmm. player. He showed, I thought he was disciplined today, gave the ball away a bit, but who didn't in that first half? I thought McTominay struggled first half as well in that midfield. We really struggled with the physicality of Suchek and Rice. That's another thing that's not been taken into consideration. They came to bully us. And when I look at it, McTominay is someone that I would say, yeah, he's going to stand up to challenge. Pobre in the past perhaps hasn't, but he deserves credit for that because Suchek isn't the easiest player to play against. But until Oli can sort out that midfield, because as we've seen now today, what's what it showed us is that Van der Beek will not get enough minutes in that number ten role because he's just not on the level anywhere near Pog, um, anywhere near Bruno. Sorry, the way that Bruno's more aggressive, the way he finds space on the pitch, it's on a different level to anyone else. So, looking at that midfield now, if United want to be able to create more, if they want to look more solid as well defensively, Ole's got to find out who plays in that double pivot, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, and but that's that's saying that if United played a double pivot, you know, so Ole likes to play that, but that certainly isn't what I think Ole wants to play. Forever, you know, what we did see before was Van der Baek feature in the diamond, yeah, playing to the side, you know, with a defensive midfielder before. And I think that's what Ole would like to do going forward. So there's no doubt that it's not saying that this is the end for Van der Baek or anything like that. I think that would be kind of um premature, you know, premature, nonsensical, yeah. whatever uh, you definitely. want to call it. You know, I, what I would say is this I think it's about systems. So if, for instance, United need to change something, it's very handy to have van der there ready to play, maybe in a three in central midfield. What uh, Another thing I will say is this, you know, we talked about what kind of style of player that van der is. And I compared him to Frank Lampard. And what I mean by that is not in terms of his stature or what he looks like or anything like that. It's just in terms of his mentality or how he wants to play. He wants to arrive as the second man from midfield as an attacking midfielder into the box. That's what he wants to do. So you can see today he was trying to do that a little bit. So he was leaving the, the the pivot, allowing them to operate a little bit deeper, and he was trying to find the lines in between the channel, just trying to be cute and sneaky and all of those things. Now, Lampard used to be the best at it because the ball would go right, and when the ball was whipped in from Ashley Cole or someone like that, Lampard would time that run over and over again. He'd probably do it in training 100 times a day, and he was perfect at it, and he'd score lots of goals. Van der Beek wants to do that. The problem with that is that Manchester United have got anyone to cross a ball. It's a problem. It's still a problem, yeah? And it will be a problem until United sort that out at fullback. So, you know, Wan-Bissaka didn't do much wrong today. He made two or three really good tackles. But like I said in the last podcast, he gives you nothing on the front foot. That is an issue. Another it's- thing as well, Rob,
0: just to add to Wan-Bissaka is that West Ham identified he was definitely a weakness on the ball early on they were yeah. pressing him really really hard he was it was almost like a pressing trigger for them so every time he got the ball he got he got you know double teamed and then there was Pogba and and Lindelof had to make themselves available but this is something that will be a problem at Manchester United every single player needs to be comfortable on the ball that's yeah. that should be the prerequisite before this is a massive club the standards are up here and for me that's a little bit of a problem not saying Wamsack was terrible today he wasn't but you're right on the front foot that's a that's a problem and that lends us into the, the fullbacks, doesn't it, Robin? looking at them both today, tell us struggled defensively. Everything that we've talked about on this podcast in terms of how he would play in the back four, the fears, what we were expecting when he joined. And this is not to say he's a bad player. I'm not saying that. He got an assist today, so he showed his um, ability on the front foot. But against a better side, that could have been a real problem, couldn't it, for us?
1: It could have been. But you know, I always say this about new signings, and I stick with it. You know, years ago, we would say, if a player comes to Manchester United, biggest club in the world, you need to give them a year to settle in. And we've forgotten that. You know, we really have as fans. It's a hard job coming to Manchester United, especially United like this that's dysfunctional, that has proved it can win games and proved it can amass points over a long period of time, like we talked about a minute ago. But it's hard to come in and do that work, especially the position is not, uh, you know, tuned to what you normally do. And this was what we highlighted in the masterclass before is that Teller's is effectively a wing back and he's now being asked to play as a left back. And to fans, again, that means nothing, you know, it's two different roles, but you know, you should be able to do the same thing, surely. But the answer to that is no, you, you, you're not because you're used to training in a certain way, playing a game in a certain manner. And in this Manchester United team, he can't play really as a raiding left back. He has to sit a little bit more, which is what Luke Shaw does. It's about balance. I think there are concerning points, but at the same time, I'm more concerned by these freakish downturns in performances within games, which is the consistency factor, than I am the results. Because the results are kind of telling us something different. Now, I think, again, as Gary Neville just said at the end of the programme, he said it is strange because, United is like, two points off the top of the league and one point in the last game of the Champions League, qualifying for the knockouts uh, the facts are that that's not a bad position but what happens is that every 45 minutes we don't know what Man United we're going to get and that is an issue and Ole needs to solve that, that is important because consistency comes through repetition and knowing what you're going to get and we don't quite know what we're going to get from this Man United team twice three times, four times a game when things change, 15 minutes of world class excellence, 30 minutes of looking like a pub team you know, why? You know, only Ole can really solve that problem. And if he doesn't, eventually it will become losses. That's what happened with Mourinho. When Mourinho was doing what Mourinho does and playing a super low block and winning 1-0 every week, it's not a problem. Yeah, because you're winning, you're getting points. You know, you're staying in your your kind of zone in the table. You're OK. But when you start losing, then you lose again. Then you might lose three. And suddenly people are jittery. And what we find in the modern Manchester United is that fans, not people, not just who watch our show here, but obviously across the whole spectrum, is that there is no patience for defeats. And if United had lost today, especially after playing that badly, can you imagine what the reaction would have been? It would have been a lot worse than what we're seeing. I
0: wasn't looking forward to the show, Rob. I'll be on this until, until we score that first goal, thinking, oh man, this is going to be another another difficult show. But look, we, we turned it around. But that was that's my point a Lot of people in the comments, by the way, your comments have been fantastic, some really fantastic ones. Yeah, Sorry, how many Ill- questions or anything like that? i um, one here from um, around that, which I'm gonna bring up. But you know, a lot of the people in, in the comments are asking saying at me saying, you know, why why um why are you obviously not so high on Oli? And it's because of the point that yes, we're picking up results, but I know that when the results slip and the performance is having good, and you like you say it's repetition. Mm. If we're playing poorly picking up results, that's not us. You know, playing consistently well, and so that when we do start results, results do start to slip. Sorry, it gets more difficult. United are consistently know that they're playing in a certain way. They're playing well, so that's my problem with it. I'm not saying go and sack Oli tomorrow. I haven't said that, but I, I do have valid questions which I do ask. It doesn't mean that I won't credit him. Today he made the substitutions to change the game, and and I will always do that. And I will always criticize. And it's not just him; it's also on the players. Like Rob said earlier, the lack of mentality, the lack of leadership. And that's a real problem. When Bruno came on, Rob, quickly before I get to this question, straight away, barking orders, saying, you go here, telling Tellers you come up here, you push back. That's a real captain. United have need more Bruno Fernandes in the team. That's what they need. And unfortunately, we don't have that. And hopefully we can do that. And the only way we can is through buying players who have that mentality. And I have trust in Oli to buy good players because he's done that. So that's where I give yeah. him credit. But for me, and, and we're coming on to this question uh, from around that. Thank you for your comments, by the way. And thank you to all the interaction. It's been fantastic. Um, The question for Rob is people say we're poorly coached, a poorly coached team when we're playing three games a week. Is there enough time to coach when you have to recover from the previous game and prepare for the next?
1: Well, that's hundred percent correct. I've said that to almost to a letter to a T in our last show is that when you prepare, you don't prepare for the next game. You prepare kind of six, seven, eight games in advance, you know, for those eight games, what kind of team you want to play. Why? Because you've already assessed the teams that you're playing, you've looked at the tactics, and you sit there with your boards and you kind of all your data and everything like that, and you think, right, what kind of team can I put out without killing everyone, without everyone being knackered every week? Because that's a problem. That's one of the biggest issues. You know, one of the things that every manager I've ever spoken to always says the same thing to me is the two words: load management. That's what they talk about. It's the modern game. Yeah, it's all about sports science. So there is a a, a conflict between. Spending time on the training pitch, which is where you get all the nuance, all the refinement, and get everyone doing what you want them to do, and then sitting down with them away from the pitch and doing the actual hardcore tactical work of saying, right, when this happens, you must be stood here. Now, the guy who's the best at it in the world to me is Pep Guardiola. Guardiola is great at saying, when this happens, scenario, you do this. And when that happens, you do that. And when this goes this way, you respond like this. He's great at that. But not everyone's Pep Guardiola. That's as simple as that. So you looked at you said a minute ago about Bruno. And Bruno does certain things. And Bruno is a leader. He's a natural leader. He doesn't need that armband to say he's a leader. And that's how it should be. You should have players who can take responsibility without the kudos of, you know, saying they're the captain or the skipper. All you can do to improve that over time is buy players like that. You can't invent them. Yeah, you can't suddenly just find one in your football club who's not like that. You can't say to Paul Pogba, "Do you know what, Paul? We need you to be more of a leader. So please change as a fundamental human being and do your this for me. Yeah. yeah, please do this yeah, and, and be the shouter and the screamer and go mad and you know, you know, have it a little bit more and get in people's ears and be, com- you know, have the conflict with your own players. He's not Roy King. So we can't expect him to be anything like Roy Keane. But there are other players in that team that need to take more responsibility. And I think we have seen it. You know, I think Marcus has now taken more responsibility from where he was 12 months or two years ago. I know people aren't hiring him because he's not scoring goals, but I think Martial has as well. I think Martial, you see him today in that last 10 minutes where he came off injured. There was a couple of times where he was in um, Mason Greenwood's ear and he was saying, Push. You know, drive that. there with me. Come with me. So there's a communication there. That is leadership. You know, that is being able to communicate with younger players and saying, let's do it. Now, people might say, I'd like to score a goal. Martial, that's something completely different. But, you know, that's that's kind of what we're talking about here. And when you look at the back, you know, I think that uh, Aaron Wabasaka, who's very brave in the tackle, he needs to take more responsibility in his role for getting forward. And there were times when he tried, but he just doesn't have the end product. So that's something that Ole has to look at and think, do I change this now over a period of time? Lots of kind of little issues around leadership and around just taking the kind of taking the game by the by the scruff of the neck and actually saying, right, we're going to change this. Man United will tell you tonight that's what they did. They put their two leaders on the pitch and they absolutely tore West Ham to shreds. And it is West Ham sat in that dressing room after the game going, What happened there? Yeah, how did and Un- it? And Man United are getting the club suits back on and getting on the bus and going, By three points. And that's the most important thing. I was going to tweet at the start of the match, I don't care how United play today as long as we win. Because before a Champions League game, that's what you need. You need just three points, put it to bed and be done with it. They did win. It was strange, but it's been strange before. But Ole will feel justified in the means. He swapped it because he felt he had to. I think rotation is important. However, that rotation failed miserably today. And I blame the players for that. You come in, you get an opportunity. Yeah. If you don't take that opportunity, you go back and sit on the bench. Yeah. Matter played, well, yeah. Matt played well today, came on, yeah. yeah, for that last half an hour. He's earned his stripes. He's an experienced player. He knows what's needed. And, you know, what? he might start more games as a result now. Whereas Van der Beek might have to go and sit on his hands on the bench in the freezing cold and watch a little bit more football than he's used to.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't blame. I think the rotation was correct. I think you have to do that. We've got two games a week, what, till January. It's just going to be absolutely mental. They're condensing 10, 10 months of a season into nine, so you've got to take these things into consideration. Just want to see more consistency in a match. It's not even a, from game to game, Rob. It's in the, in the game itself. How can you have a first half like that? You never tweet during the match, do you? you that's a very rare thing really? you do. you very rarely, you even were tweeting. This is this is absolutely atrocious. Not not just the manager, the players. It was just absolutely shocking. And then we turn it on like that. And this is that's where I'm struggling a little bit. But it's a great question. Mm. Uh, I'm going to re- read out another one. Uncle um, was asking earlier. He was saying about the impact of fans. I mean, it's great to see fans back in. Um, what's your view on that? Uh, you know, is it is it something which makes that much of a difference? Because what it was, two thousand fans, I believe. So it didn't really feel like there were any fans in the stadium. Um, but yeah, what's your thoughts on that? And um, it's a good
1: landmark, isn't it? Considering what's been going on the past year. Football is nothing without fans. Football is a different sport without the fans. If you don't have the fans in the ground, it changes the dynamic. You know, Without fans in the stadium, every game is a neutral match. There is no home games. Every game is neutral because there is no kind of extra additive in your spice to be able to go and do something. You know, like we said in the, the Champions League game, you know, if United are chasing a result, it's a slot in the Stratford end and in the, sta- in the stands, yeah. stuck in that ball into the net. Football is important in terms of the, the fans that go to games. However, and there's always my however, however, I don't think it's the right time. You know, if we're still in lockdown in parts of the country, why is it that some Premier League teams can start this and other teams can't? It's an unfair sporting advantage. Yeah, West Ham today, were allowed to have 2000 fans in there. And, you know, we've heard of other things that have happened today at Millwall in terms of um, booing the, the bending at the knee and things like that. Shocking. Absolutely That's shocking. a shocking thing. That's a different, it's a different kind of uh, subject. However, I think you let fans back in when everyone's ready to be go back in, yeah. When when teams have to operate on a on a on an even keel, and I think it's wrong that you can go to London and the London teams get an advantage now. However, if you go to Manchester, you're not allowed. But if you go to Liverpool, you are. People will say that's to do with the tier system, with the, obviously the health warnings. But I think with football, you should just take a more universal approach. Let's have fans back when when we can really bring them back. You know, yes, we'll go 2,000, 4,000, 8,000. That's probably how they'll do it everywhere. But it should be an even kill. Fans are the most important things in the sport. They really are. We're there. They're the, the, you know, the men and women that give their money over every week. That's why you have football clubs. If you don't have the fans and you don't have football. So I want them back as soon as possible, but it's got to be safe. It didn't help West Ham today, but I bet when they scored that goal, they did go over towards the stands at 1-0, and that would have felt great to see their fans celebrating in their kind of socially distanced little bubbles in each little stand, and that would have been great for them. Um, it's the ultimate goal, but ultimately at the moment, probably shouldn't be what football is doing. I
0: definitely agree with that. Uh, it looks like Chelsea are drawing 1-1 against Leeds, Rob. So Leeds went up ahead with Bamford. Not in the out- club's. Yeah, no, no it's about me.
1: Throw
0: <laughs> <laughs> Time we did the podcast where Villa were winning seven two and we'd done that. That was after and we didn't know start.
1: we didn't know the result until the end. <laughs> You're
0: right, yeah, we just done <laughs> a dissection of the Spurs six one game. Read, I'm going to read that one more question, Joseph. You'll be the lucky person. So tell can cross the ball, Rob? But I've no faith when a player runs at him. Bowen made him look like he wasn't on the pitch. Thoughts now. Something I noticed early on, Rob, and I don't know if you did, but you probably did uh notice it because obviously we're both studying the game before that we do the show but um Pogba started on the right or he played on the right with the pivot and McTominay was on the left and my thoughts were that is gonna have to come across because Bowen is devastating c- cutting off the right onto his left mm-hmm. and while I thought Telez wasn't brilliant defensively I don't think Bowen caused him as many problems as I thought he would and um look with Telez fantastic going forward it's gonna take some time. I still think if I had to choose between Shaw and Telez, personally for me, and this is where the balance comes in. Wham on the right hand side doesn't do enough going forward. I want to see the asymmetric fullbacks. Um, and that's why I would choose be choosing Telez. Let's say we had a new right back who's more attacking. I think Shaw would be a good option to balance it up. I think United have got options I haven't they? left back.
1: Yeah, I don't want to see asymmetric fullbacks. You know, it's not two thousand and eight. All right. This, this is not how teams play anymore. United need to play modern football. United need to find a way. That's what it is. You know, if the, if the players are not doing it, then United need to find players that can do it or get players that are not doing it to do it. So I want to see wan become a proper right back, which means doing both of the jobs of going forward and going back. And I want to see Luke Shaw doing it. And I want to see Tellers doing it. They've both they've all got to get better at the things they're not so good at. Yeah. So I don't want to see asymmetric fullbacks because that's not really the weight of the game. Mourinho, you know, does that, used to do it all the time. And that was kind of his thing. And it worked during that period. But if we want Man United to be a balanced attacking cohesive unit, then we need to have proper fullbacks that do the wingback job going forward, but actually don't give the space away behind. What we saw today with Telez, it is hard. It is a learning process, is that the Premier League is a different animal. It's a different animal it's quicker it's more aggressive and it's more direct so you'll get passes played round the corner of the back of you that just don't get played in Europe you know in Europe you can stand and have the game played in front of you it's it's not it's not a worse game it's just a different game but in the Premier League there are different challenges now he'll learn them if he's good enough and we'll see that come six months 12 months he's just better defensively than than he is at the moment. I think, what's this again? Second, third, fourth start, something like this. We should be judging no one that's played so few minutes in a Manchester United shirt. Just even. Nice little stat, Ron,
0: is that that back four's fifth time in a row they played together. I think that's great for consistency. Yeah, you, 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 you,
1: someone, uh, someone tweeted me as well that, you know, why are Maguire and Endorf not getting a rest because, you know, X, Y, and Z, rotation, etc etc you can't rest everyone. You can't make eight, nine, ten changes because then you definitely lose. Um, you can make two big, impactful players, maybe three, and then just about get away with it. But you'll find that when the top teams rotate, they do it in kind of spells. So like Sterling was out for a little while and they left him for two two or three games, give him a proper rest, then bring him back in. He comes in, he scores a goal. That's how it works. So I think when you look at that and you look at Tellers, I think when Shaw's back, Shaw will be the starter because Shaw has played with those guys more than anyone, and Ole will trust him. And then it's up to Tellers that when Tellers is in the team, that he shows Ole that he can give him a, a ton of upside going forward. But he has to learn to do that at Manchester United. It's going to be very, very different than, than maybe in the leagues that he's played in before, to be able to get past fullbacks that will go with you all the way. You know, it, it, there isn't this load of space behind for him to exploit. Like just said there, when the ball was crossed into the box... Man United strikers and forwards might learn that someone's crossing the ball. They might make the run. For the last year, they've had no one cross the ball. In fact, two years, three years, you can go back forever. And strikers at Man United are not used to going across the line to the front post because the ball has always been poor. You know, they've been dealing with Ashley Young and Antonio Valencia for year after year after year after year. It has to be better. Man United's fullbacks must do what the modern fullbacks do. Assists, clean sheets, Help, their, help the centre-backs and be productive on the front foot and the back.
0: Yeah, agreed. And I would like to add, I think Maguire and Lindelof have been fantastic now, Rob, for, for quite a while, and they, they deserve the credit. Maguire, again, today was was very good. I'm not the highest on Maguire, but you
1: know, I've been impressed with what he shown so far. I thought they were good today and have been really good in recent weeks. Today, yeah. in the first half, they look shaky and the whole team looked shaky. And the I reason was... was yeah, the, the midfield, midfield was a mess. The midfield in front of them was a mess. And that impacted them because they were trying to obviously cover spaces and they were worried obviously if they gave the ball away, there'd be a huge hole in the pivot. So that, that's one of the one of the reasons for that. And as the game went on, they got better because Man United just got more confident and they kind of all pulled each other along. But I'm with you. You know, I think they've played well together in recent weeks. So again, you could play two and Zabi in there at some point, that will happen. But as Ollie's seen today, when he rotates it goes that way, doesn't it? South very quickly. And that emotion that drains out of Manchester United, that is a worry that when you make a change that you don't see the leadership carry on. It just kind of all falls apart. And uh, I think that's what he probably thinks with Maguire and Lindelof. He's probably thinking, I can't pull one of them out at the moment simply because of how fragile my team are when, when I make changes.
0: Yeah, absolutely spot on. Rob, I'm going to read out two more questions. Guys, thank you so much for all the interaction. It's been really, really brilliant. We're going to be live now after every single game so you'll be able to enjoy that on Tuesday, I believe. Robert playing Leipzig. Uh, the question here is from uh, Sharshank. Oh, it's going to come up. Your thoughts on Henderson's overall performance today? I mean, look for me, David De Gea is still number one for United. And he should still be number one. Henderson played well. I think he was uh, he was decent, not spectacular. I uh, didn't have to make that many saves, but uh, made a good one for that free kick. Uh, in the second half um but yeah good performance and good
1: to get minutes under his uh under his belt good to get minutes but like i said you know i i don't come out of this game feeling that west Ham peppered uh dean henderson at all today dean henderson had one significant save to make from the free kick and it was a really good save they kind of talked about it as it happened and showed a few replays etc etc but It was a world-class save. When you actually see it, because he takes a step the wrong way, he's trying to cover that inside post, but he gets across. And when you look at the shape of his body and the extension that he gets, you really see why he's a top goalkeeper. That wingspan he's got is almost like a top NBA player, really you know, seven eight eight eight-foot wingspan, because he doesn't get that otherwise, because it's really going towards that corner. And he made a really, really good save. I think he's a confident guy. I think he kind of fits being able to just drop into the team. There's no doubt he's going to be the future number one. Um, like you said, I think De Gea is still probably the number one in terms of in the way that Ole sees it, the experience. You can't really buy that. But there's good signs for, for Henderson. I, I think he's a very really good goalkeeper. It'll be a shame if he does sit on the bench more. But again, when you make changes, it's about chemistry, isn't it? So even little simple things like what Henderson does with his centre backs from goal kicks, now, so people people might think these things are easy. They might go, oh, "You just you're just kicking it to him, aren't you?" And you're kicking it back. And no, they are practice. They are drill. They're drill work that you do over and over and over again. Now Henderson will be part of that drill work, and they'll do it together as maybe De Gea and Henderson working with the with all the centre backs. So and Zaba included, Mengi included, anyone that can play a central berth, they'll do it with the goalkeeper. Um, but I think today, you know. Dino's got that about him. He's a, he's a little bit of a leader. You know, I think he's a talker. He, he's really yeah. confident. And there was nothing wrong with his performance, so he did nothing wrong.
0: Also, I think it's important to note as well that this Sheffield United team has lost a massive, massive influence. And Dean Henderson was fantastic last season. I think mm. they've struggled, obviously, going forward. And we knew that goals was a problem for them. But also defensively, they're leaky. Ramsdale's not a patch on Henderson. So I think that shows the impact that he had at Sheffield United and what he can have at United. And also, Rob, that... Kick over the top, which did it go out? Did not it? Whatever happened? uh Obviously, we got the goal for it over to Bruno. It's fantastic. So, I think he had a good performance. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying or advocating for him to go into the team now. Because for me, I think David de Gea is still clear. But if he gets game and game time and he plays like that, then we're in a really good position. So, Rob, I'm going to read out the last question. It's not related to the game, but Unka's asking about your view on Palistri on his performances (laughs) in under twenty three so far, guys. I did a podcast uh right after we signed police Street, if you want to have a look at it it's a player analysis with simon edwards who's a south american journalist uh fantastic it's only about 25 minutes and he gives a really good insight to him he's a tough lad isn't he rob he's uruguayan They, they prepare you no one plays football in uruguay they prepare you to go and play abroad he's made the tough stuff you said actually when we did sign him that you expect him to eventually get on the bench and play some minutes. I, I'm really liking what I see of him. I'm excited about him and Diallo, especially Diallo's little cameo. These guys are young. It's going to take time, not too much pressure on them. But they both got a little bit about them. And I think United got some really good talents on their hand.
1: Yeah, emotionally, it's important that we keep these things in check because with these young players that are coming through, to the existing core of young players that we have, like we are still, I think, the youngest team in the Premier League, pound for pound, across the whole squad. If you bring bringing even more young players in, then it just takes a little bit more time to gel. Pellegrini's done really well in his opening weeks at Manchester United. We know that he's a he's a little tough. You know what? You know he's he's not a shrinking violet, even though he's young and a bit smaller than maybe people would like him to be. Uh, but let's see, let's, he's a development project this year and I wouldn't even be surprised if he ends up going out on loan, say in January. Uh, um, I wouldn't be against that if that's how Ole thinks that's the best way to develop him. I think Man United fans would be higher on seeing him in the under-23s and staying at a football club and there is a logic to that, that, that Ole would like to develop from within. He doesn't really want players to go out on loan if they don't need to. Um, but like you just mentioned, Diallo there, both of these two players, they've got a lot of upside In terms of what they could do, doesn't mean they'll do it from day one. Doesn't mean that you're going to drop them in and find this world class talent, you know, in a a kind of snip of the fingers and you kind of go, right, we've got it now and this is it and it's everything is solved and forget Sancho because we've got these two youngsters and all of this. However, in terms of balance and formations, and Diado could both play 4 2 3 1 comfortably. They could play 4 3 3 as advanced forwards playing in a three across that gives you a little bit more kind of scope in terms of what you do with Cavani. It might mean that you can give Rashford a little bit more of a rest. It might mean that you can play Mason through the center when we tend to play him wide at the moment. So these two players coming in tactically are good for United and the core overall, but then of course they need to assimilate. They need to settle down. They need to, again, put the weight of the club on their shoulders. They need to understand what it means to play for Manchester United and what that shirt and what that badge means, and how difficult it can be, because if you have a bad week, people will try and kill you. And that's what Manchester United is all about, you know? And that comes from your own football fans, not, not just from opponents, not from uh fans from other rival football clubs. Um, it's going to be tough for them. But if they show promise, just like Mason has, I was so happy Mason scored today. Cause everyone knows I'm not finished. Yeah, everyone knows I'm higher Mason and I think Mason is the best um, finished at the football club. And I think that Mason could be a world-class talent. And I'm talking on Mbappe levels. Yeah. I know people might go, Oh, that's over the top. But I see I, him, I see him as being a player that can score you a goal every game in years to come, you know, a proper one goal a game ratio, or at least a goal every two-game ratio. And if you do that, you are then a bona fide world-class forward. And I feel he can do that at United, and it's just about his development and what he's been through recently, You know, both on the the side of what happened with England, but also on the other side of the suicide of his friend. All of these things are, are really tough for a teenager. And as football fans, again, we have to just let that play out and then let him come back. And today, I think we saw it, the first half an hour of the game, you could see he was a little bit rabbit in headlights. He was a little bit like, what am I doing on a football pitch? He's kind of forgotten all the stuff that he's learned for a year, his runs were a bit off and he was coming a bit deeper and he didn't know whether to cover or stick or twist and all those things. I always talk about joining the dots because that's what I was taught as a kid when I played football, you know, and he couldn't join those dots. Second half, all the dots got joined. Pogba saw him, saw the runs. Yeah, Rashford was, was making those kind of darting runs from the left. It left it all open. Matter was joining play up and suddenly you get Mason Greenwood in the box and what does he do? Scores. So I look at it like that. I always look at every youngster to have that potential. And that's why I liked Angel Gomez. I still like Chong, who's doing very well in the Bundesliga. You know, these players, if they're given opportunities and you can develop them, your maybe your opinion about them emotionally doesn't count. You've got to let it, let it play out, you know, and it might not work but it might work and then you might have a great player on your hands. And United with Palestri, I think with Diallo, they're two really good young players. I was very happy when we signed them and people were like, why do you like him? You know, why do you want these two players in here? I don't get it. Why did, you know, why are you not unhappy about Sancho? I was like, well, I did want Sancho, don't get me wrong, but I'm okay with bringing in two youngsters that have got big upsides. Diallo, I think he could be the frightening one. I think when you bring him in, if he really can dribble and do those things that we've seen and, I've seen. I saw more of him before the videos that have come out recently, of course. But the re- recent videos, you can see there's a maturity to his game as well, and that will serve him well at Manchester United.
0: He's got excellent spatial
1: awareness, but Rob also he he holds the width balance. I know. You, yeah, that is really Balanced. key. If you look at he looks like he looks natural at the job. Yeah. You know, he, he he can hold the width, but he's got he's. You can see. Did you see in the video the little pass he plays behind the corner? on the left, with the outside of his right foot, just behind the fullback, allowing his striker to run on. And his striker got shot, but it didn't go in. And I just thought, ooh, that's the stuff you can't teach. Because that's just all in his head. He sees the picture and he's thinking, I'm playing that ball dead weight into space, not too fast, like we quite often see United players do. They play the pass and it's like straight onto the byline and the forward can't get it. But that was played with a little bit of edge on it. It's like a golf swing, you know, just into a kind of area to bounce and let the forward run onto it. And I thought, if he's doing that at 18 or whatever age he is now, you know, as a kid, then he looks like a great development project. £35 million might be the best 35 United have spent for a long time.
0: I completely agree. I'm getting more and more excited as January's approaching. It's already nearly
1: January now, isn't it? And see, we're already uh, feeling better about this performance already, aren't we now? At the end of this podcast, we started it, both of us, before going live, going, oh, it's like hard. And now we're ending it talking about youngsters and talking about what Man United can do and what was actually right about the performance and all of those things. And that's really what we have to keep reminding ourselves because I think we might go out in the Champions League, because I really do think Leipzig are really good and I think they're better than us, honestly. You know, I think they're a better team. And I think, I don't know, did they beat Bayern today? They were 3 2 up. Uh, I think winning, I'm not too sure. If anyone in the comments knows, let us know. Well, they were, they uh, were beating, obviously, a very good team in Bayern Munich, the Champions of Europe. They were beating them 3 2 at one point today. And I think United will struggle. However, if the Man United for 15 minutes turns up for 90, then Leipzig won't like that. Leipzig would watch that game today on their video and look at the VT and go, they can hurt us and we need to be wary of that. doesn't matter who I you've know, got. I, with think, I
0: mean, that's the thing. He hasn't played very well this season as well. He's but, not been good, has
1: um, he? He's not been good. Oh, so, yeah, they drew three a, or... 3 uh, all, so they're not very good at Leipzig, guy, We can beat them. So, you know, <laughs> you know, when we look at that, we, we only do need a draw. And I would like to see United go there with a defensive mindset. Now, I know that goes against what people think. People say United should just play on the front foot, swagger, 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 and they can do it and beat teams. I think you need to go there with a bit of caution. You need to plug up the channels and you need to say, right, guys at the front, say like, for instance, it will be, say, a 4 for 2 maybe not a 4 for 2 diamond, but say you play with Rashford at the top of the pitch. You need to be able to play that ball to him accurately and give him something. Give him something to run to. Now, today, it worked. thought Bruno's balls were great. But as we said yeah, before, well. that lots of the times Bruno can be wasteful, but that's because he is a creative player. It happens. Um, it's going to be a tough game, and United need to go there and think, let's stop this team from beating us firstly. And yeah, on the counterpunch, if we can hurt them, let's do that. But we don't need to win this game. That's what Fergie's teams did. Everyone says Fergie's team's attacked. In Not this away kind, from home in Europe. In this kind I of European definitely. affair, Fergie's teams would set up and they would say, come, come on us and we are going after you. It's fine. Yeah, we will get you on the counter-attack and we've got the quality to hurt you. United used to do that to Arsenal almost every game in that period. Arsenal would try and do everything, dance through you, Barcelona light, and United would just say, soak it up and then we're going to hit you with Nani, we're going to hit you with Jason Park, we're going to hit you with Rooney and we're going to hit you with Ronaldo. United have got that kind of pace in the team to do it. I want to see us do it. And if we lose 1-0 because of that, I won't be sat here in the masterclass going, we should have just gone and attacked because I don't think it's the right thing to do in this scenario we can still attack but i want to see us be solid at the back and without you know fred's out isn't he so you know fred's suspended you know there is an opportunity maybe to bring two and AB into that formation somewhere i don't know I, Depends-
0: back. I mean i'm going to be positive well to be honest with you rob i want us to be pragmatic against psg but obviously that didn't turn out the way it did but i'll be and honest I'm be- happy
1: you see when they weren't pragmatic united lost 3-1 the PSG had more chances than us and we have blown the group open by allowing PSG to beat us. Yet if we'd got a boring nil-nil draw against PSG, which is perfectly acceptable, then this Leipzig game would be a rest. You'd be playing the kids on this last game and going, well, we're through. It doesn't matter. So I, I just want United to do the right tactics at the right time. I trust Ole to do that. Um, and I think he will. I think he will try and be pragmatic. And now Martial's out of the game. It might actually help United in terms of what formation you put out because you I don't think Martial does the defensive work when you put him onto the side of the striker, but I do think that the other guys do. I think Rashford does. I think uh, you know, Sid Greenwood's played there more than anyone on the right, and he can do the defensive work. He's just young and in- inexperienced, so we'll see. We'll see what they do. But I feel I feel okay about it. You know, that after that result, after that performance, they just like scaring us, don't they? You know, everyone that's watching this podcast, we all just kind of go oh, oh, every game. But you know, if we win at the end of it. That's okay. It's just when you start with, losing. We like wouldn't United
0: fans we weren't having about four heart attacks a game. I mean, it's just you know what. Okay. Since I started doing this show, I've tried to be a little bit more numb. Of course, I can get let emotion get the better of me, but that's just the way it is. As a United fan, it's a roller coaster. So, guys, honestly, thank you so much for all your support. We love going live, don't we, Rob? It's been great. Joseph saying here, great show, and all the lads in the comments. Yeah, all your comments have been brilliant. Thank you very much, guys. It's been fantastic. Reese saying he watched it on your PS4. You haven't got a PS5 yet, Reese. You need to go and get one. They're they're pretty awesome. Been fantastic. Thank you for listening. And just thanks. Uh, just
1: want to thank. I just want to thank everyone for for tuning in. And obviously, you know, as I said in the last show, we make this show for you. The demand has been that we go live, which is why we're doing it. And we kind of thought originally we would flirt with the others and do, kind of do a live one and a and a playback version for you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. However, you know. People have just been saying to us, you know, unanimously that they want us to go live. So we're going to go live after every match, League, Cup, Europe, even if we're in the Europa on Thursdays, maybe. We don't want to be. Uh, And there will be maybe some pre-records in the middle somewhere. But primarily, this is going to be a live show for you. So we need you guys to keep joining us because that's why we go live, because that's what you want to see. And we want to do that for you.
0: Absolutely, Barry. Thank you, Unka. Thank you, Reese. You're getting your PS5 December the nineteenth. That is, you're gonna love it, mate. It's awesome. And uh, guys, honestly, thank you. Spread the word as well because we'd love to get more, and more people involved. The interaction is brilliant. It's what makes us uh, the show so great. Tell your friends. So, tell ma- your friends. Tell yeah, your friends. Like, tell everyone. Them. Tell tell everybody that you know. Give it a retweet. So thank you very much, guys. And we will see you on Tuesday for another live show. So we'll see you then. Thank you and goodbye.